Safe Speaks is a podcast created by Sexual Assault Peer Educators, a student group committed to educating the Georgetown community about interpersonal violence and supporting survivors of sexual assault. Safe hopes this collection of conversations will encourage, support, educate, and inspire necessary dialogue in the Georgetown community. As a content note, issues of sexual assault and other forms of interpersonal violence will be explored and discussed. Please prioritize your well-being while listening to these podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast are a representation of the speakers themselves, and not all reflect health education services or Georgetown University. That of the way, hello everybody. We hope you are having an incredible start to your semester, and we are so excited to resume Safe Speaks, a, a podcast brought to you by Sexual Assault Peer Educators. My name is Noah. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a sophomore. This is my second year in Safe. With all of that, let's dive into today's episode where we hope to learn more about the importance of bystander intervention. I'm joined by Britt. Britt, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Britt Egan. I use she, her pronouns, and I work in health education services as a staff clinician and sexual assault specialist. I also oversee the, the state program. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, as our guest today, our guest today is Hannah Gray, an interpersonal violence education and training specialist. She joins the Georgetown community after two years of working with Whitman Walker Health as the education and training coordinator, specializing in youth-focused sexual health education. She's looking forward to creating programming in which students can see themselves reflected. Hannah will also be facilitating bringing in the bystander training to empower students to keep themselves and their peers safe from harm which we will be talking about today. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, let's get started. My first question, um, can you talk a little bit about what by bringing in the bystander is um, and what your hope is for the initiative? Yeah, um, well, first, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here talking with you today. Um, bringing in the bystander is a bystander prevention, oh, prevention, a bystander intervention program. Um, it is mandatory at Georgetown University for all incoming freshmen and transfer students who are new to campus to go through um, this training. Um, the hope behind this initiative is that we can empower um, all Georgetown students to kind of cultivate this like culture of community um, on campus where everyone feels um, the responsibility to, you know, look out for one another and keep, you know, not just themselves, but, you know, their peers safe from harm. Yeah. Um, so along those lines, um, in your training, how do you define a bystander, the role of a bystander, especially like on a college campus? Yeah. So um, like the standard definition of bystander is just anyone who's present during a time of you know, like an emergency, a harmful event, or there's a situation that seems like it's heading down that road. Um, being a bystander means you have the choice to either like stand by and do nothing, you can provide assistance, or you make the choice to contribute to the harm. So with our Bring in the Bystander program, we're trying to turn folks into what we call a pro-social bystander. So that means that Yes, this person is present at the time of a potentially harmful event, um, but they choose to intervene um, positively in a way that um, decreases harm or stops harm from happening altogether. 
Yeah, and I think that's really important too because I think that when we, you know, talk about being a bystander, we kind of gravitate towards this definition of see something, say something. Um, and so I think that this definition that you're employing and hope to kind of instill within the Georgetown community extends far beyond that. Um, okay, so next I kind of was hoping that we could walk through an example together. So do you have any kind of situations um, prepared that we can talk through? Yeah, um, so I grabbed one straight from our presentation um, and I'll read it to you and then you all can tell me maybe how you think you would respond to the situation. Um, all right, so you are walking down the hall to catch the elevator to go to your room. When you pass a common room on the first floor, you hear two people yelling at each other. The guy is calling the woman a slut and sounds really angry. What would you do? Um, yeah, okay, so we were actually just talking about this while we were putting this together. Um, so my first inclination was that I would pretend to know one of the individuals involved and either like ask them to get lunch or say, oh, we have a meeting now, we have to go. Um, and this works really well most of the time, unless the person is like, I don't know you, what are you doing? <laughs> um, in which case, sometimes it can be really helpful to kind of delegate. So if you know somebody and you, you know who one of their friends are, or you can ask around, does anybody know anyone in the common room? Um, I would delegate to the friend because sometimes friends can de-escalate situations a lot better than strangers. So that would be my other kind of approach. Um, Britt, what do you yeah, yeah, those are great idea ideas, Noah. Um, I feel like when I used to think about bystander intervention, I always like just pictured somebody like directly intervening and saying like, this behavior is wrong, you shouldn't do that, stop it. Um, and that's how I pictured intervening. And that isn't like that, that doesn't come organically to me that uh, would be more difficult, uh, depending on the scenario, how I would intervene. And so when I learned about bystander intervention at my college, I was um, really encouraged to, to learn like there's also lots of other tools and skills and I'm sure you're going to be teaching them all at bringing in the bystander. But the ones that I resonated most with were that of like distraction or delegating or delaying a scenario from happening. And so when thinking about the example you shared with us, I would say I probably would like go and ask them for directions to like a building on campus. Um, and then perhaps like if I'm asking for directions, if the person is wanting like an exit strategy, they could offer like, they could say, hey, I can take you there. Um, so I probably would do something like that. I also might talk to, you know, my roommates or my RA and ask for some help. If I, if I wasn't sure what was going on and how to respond, I could see myself also using delegation in that, um, in that scenario. Yeah. So those are all, first of all, perfect examples of bystander intervention. And even just now, you both are kind of highlighting how um, easy it is like find different ways um, to step in all of the in all of these ways could 100% work um, and what I love about you know the the new bystander intervention program that we're starting in just um, a little under a week now very exciting um, we are kind of like moving away from those um, five D's that we used to use with the bystander intervention training so 
distract, direct, delegate, delay, and document, which are all really great strategies, but it's kind of like the method there was here are all the ways you can step in. And the way that this training is different is that we're using this acronym CAPES, um, which really encourages folks to kind of look within themselves and figure out, you know, what their strengths are, what they're best at and find strategies that they can be most comfortable with. So Brett, like you made the point, you know, stepping in and really like talking to someone and like having more of a direct interaction is like not part of your wheelhouse, right? Like that can seem really daunting and scary for a lot of people. So if you're more passive, that's like the P in capes, you can find more like, you know, indirect ways to step in a way that you can, you know, get help or, you know, stop a bad situation from happening without you really ever having to come face to face with anyone involved. So great ideas, but like there's, you know, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, um, and I think following on what both of you were talking about, about these kinds of, um, like those were examples of more like internal barriers, but sometimes intervening is really hard and it's not always as straightforward as it can first appear to seem, um, appear to be. And I, and it also, you know, you have to keep yourself safe. Sometimes we're intervening in situations that, have the potential to harm ourselves. So kind of from that, what are some of these barriers? I guess we've talked about some of the more individual personal barriers, um, but maybe some external barriers and also how can we keep ourselves safe while we are acting as a bystander? Yeah, I feel like that's such a great question. And I think before we explore all of the, the different barriers that exist, I wanna offer an example of a time when I wasn't sure how to intervene and there were a lot of barriers present and that might um, give, give people who are listening ideas of other things they can do when maybe you feel stuck or safety is a real concern. Um, so it was a couple of years ago, I was living still in North Carolina and I started to observe that there was some domestic violence happening in the apartment across from mine. They were sort of set up as like townhomes or condos um but so I could see their door and um I would you know observe yelling and screaming from inside the house and um I was really scared I was scared I wasn't sure what to do um I wasn't I know as an advocate that also sometimes uh, the intervention of, of like the police can sometimes cause more violence or cannot feel uh, safe or can escalate things. And so I felt really stuck um, because it, from what I was able to observe, it looked like there was a relationship. They, there was a lot of like closeness between these two people, uh, but also it appeared that there could also be violence occurring. Again, I wasn't behind closed doors, so I wasn't like witnessing it, but I was hearing things that was making me afraid. Uh, and so what I decided to do, because I was afraid of my own personal safety, uh, especially considering that I lived there and I lived alone. So as like a single woman living alone, um, I was afraid of like what that could look like if I directly intervened and maybe there was retaliation or um, yeah, like I could be harmed too. And so what I ended up doing 
after like brainstorming and getting some support from friends is I uh, got a bunch of magnets that had uh, dating violence hotlines and shelters and resource information um, on them. And I didn't want to like target this, this house directly because again, I thought that might increase violence. And so what I ended up doing is I put it on every single mailbox in the entire apartment complex. And so I figured that way, at least they had the information should they need support or help. So uh, that was a way that I was able to creatively intervene while still keeping myself safe. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really great example. And I also think that, um, sorry, I zoned up for a second. <laughs> um, but I think that that also shows how like, there's varying degrees of situations that we need to intervene on and some are obviously more high risk than others, um, but prioritizing keeping yourself safe and um, and also still trying to find ways to intervene even if it's very indirect, which that was, um, at least you know that you're doing something and doing everything in your capacity while ensuring your own safety. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's like a lot of things that we need to consider when thinking about barriers, right? Like there's our personal traits. Maybe we are more passive that Hannah was talking a little bit about that. It could be like situational specifics that yeah. come up for us, right? Like um, how I might intervene at night might be different than I intervene during the day or how I intervene in public versus private might look different. Um, how I might intervene with like my colleagues versus a friend, mm -hmm. all of that like could look different depending on the situation. Oh yeah, 100%. And then, you know, we also talk about um, like, what is your relationship with that person? And um, what are the circumstances? Like if I'm a woman at nighttime and there's a situation on the street and I'm by myself, that's likely in a situation that I myself need to not be a part of. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's really hard to draw a barrier and be like, I'm actually incapable of doing this. But those barriers are important to draw because when your personal safety is on the line, you can't actually intervene in the situation. So if it's doing more harm to yourself than good, sometimes even though it's just really hard to make that decision, we can't intervene or, mm -hmm. and like that, that sometimes is okay. Yeah, it's. I think it's always okay to consider our personal safety first and consider our barriers. And I think when we know those, that's when we can be more creative. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, something we talk about in SAFE a lot is um, our biases and like how those can come up. Yeah. And I think it is important that we also check in with ourselves sometimes like the perception of like what is a survivor who is a survivor um stereotypes we might have yeah. those also can come into play right like we have stereotypes around what dating violence looks like yeah. we have we have you know internal biases around race and I think it's important to also have nuanced dialogue about how that shows up in bystander yeah. intervention especially as it pertains to like gender roles mm -hmm. um, and kind of like like the term survivor can be very gendered and we definitely have like this like feminine association of what it means to be a survivor. So we may not pick up on a situation that's potentially we need to intervene upon where the victim is male. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that, you know, anybody can be a survivor, anybody can be a victim and not trying to um, I guess, break down our biases and recognize them in those contexts is really important. 
Yeah, I think that that's all essential to consider. Um, I'm curious, Hannah, is there anything you would add to this conversation? No, and I just got so excited yes, talking right. about barriers. <laughs> we talk about this all day long. Yeah, no, I, I think that these kind of conversations are great. And, you know, working through like, you know, getting past like whatever barriers, like uncomfortability we have that's stopping us from intervening um, is a really big component of becoming um, that pro-social bystander. Because sometimes one of the biggest ones is just like feeling uncomfortable, right? Or like someone like feeling like someone's gonna get mad at us or like, we'll turn into the bad guy. But we really just want to keep in mind that, you know, safety is the, um, like safety and support is the number one goal of the whole program and being a positive bystander. Um, and even more than that, like really figuring out where in the process we can step in. Because I think when I say um, bystander intervention, everyone thinks about like this very big, like grand heroic gesture where like you jump in between, you know, like two people who are about to start fighting and you know, nine times out of 10, that's really not what intervention looks like. And sometimes that bystander intervention can even happen after like a harmful event has taken place. Um, and so, you know, like maybe like one of you like have an idea of like, you know, if a friend came up to you and like told you that they experienced something the night before, like how could you potentially support them? Yeah, um, I can take that and then you can add on if you get any ideas but um in safe we talk a lot about trauma-informed care and how to support a disclosure um for example if somebody comes forward and says that they were assaulted and I think that while that's like a specific scenario a lot of the approaches we use to handle that inf that information in that scenario can be um very like they can be used in a lot of situations that involve bystanders. So like first and foremost, we talk about making the person feel safe, knowing that they're safe with you. Um, we talk about being like making sure that you're trustworthy in the sense that you let them know that to the best of your ability, um, you will keep the information private and you stay true to that. Um, and then also just providing support. Um, and then most, what I think to be the most important is empowering the victim so whoever was affected by the situation um and allowing them to have a voice and share and feel however they do without any judgment we don't want to insert our ideas of how they should be feeling um onto them because there's no right way to react to a situation like that and whatever they're feeling is completely valid and justified um i'm trying to think if there was anything else yeah just like being validating being supportive um, being patient, it can take a really long time. Sometimes there's a little bit of judgment when people get over things too quickly. So I think that kind of goes either way. Um, yeah, and then lastly, I just, the same way we have barriers to intervene while the situation is happening, we also have barriers in the response. So if you think that you are not capable of dealing with the situation, it's really important to draw boundaries and to set them as early as possible so that the person can receive some support from someone who is capable of supporting them. Yeah, no, those are all such great ideas. And I feel like you really thoroughly covered it. Um, I think, you know, something, some things I might add is, um, you could even just like, I think when somebody discloses, a lot of students will share, like they don't know what to say in that moment that they feel like a loss of words. Maybe they have their own feelings that are coming up. And if you don't know what to say, 
you can also just say like thank you for telling me um you can say I'm not sure what to say right now but I want you to know I'm here I'm supporting you um you can ask the the person like what would you like to happen next how can um you know, we make sure that you feel feel safe. Like, what does that look like for you? Um, if they're interested in some resources, you can provide those to them. I think all of those are great ideas. Uh, the other thing that I think can come up a lot too is as a survivor is navigating a, a situation of violence, there are a lot of options that they can choose between medical care, counseling, reporting, reporting to Title IX, reporting to the police, telling their RA, all of those options are available. And I think as a friend or a support person, it can be hard when we maybe have an idea of what that sh- what what they should do next, what that could look like. And so I would say one of the most important things is to allow the person to choose like what healing looks like for them and navigate in a way that feels most supportive and helpful. Um, without that judgment, as Noah mentioned. Is there anything you would add? Um, no, I think you guys really, like, hit the nail on the head. Um, just, you know, when we're like, in these sessions and talking to students about how we can support each other after, um, it can even, one thing I will add, it can even come down to not even just supporting a person like directly if they come to you and disclose they've experienced something harmful, but it even comes down to the conversations we're having just like very casually with our friend groups and like the language we use and like, you know, if we, you know, catch wind of a story that has happened within our community or even, you know, something we just see on social media or the news and making sure that we're always like, reminding ourselves and those around us to like support folks who are saying that they um, are survivors of an instance, an instance of violence and, you know, really like pushing that, like you are a person who's not going to tolerate like victim blaming or other harmful language or slurs or microaggressions, like constantly having those conversations, like doing that in every space you step into, especially on the college campus starts to shift that culture because we can model that behavior and people will just start like taking that and it'll just, you know, spread, which is the whole point of like this program, hopefully. Um, I mean, I think that's an awesome point. Like the language that we use is so indicative of like what we value um, as a campus and also in our individual groups. And so like we talk a lot about like rape culture and victim blaming and how pertinent that is in our conversations. Um, so even intervening in like the dialogue that we use and making sure people are using inclusive dialogue and also um, even if even like subtle things like like objectifying women or objectifying anyone like those are things that perpetuate this kind of culture and so those are also instances that could use a bystander. Yeah, yeah, I'll add that 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 um, comes up a lot when I'm talking with students where uh, they're not sure if they can like share with maybe one of their close friends because they they had like made a comment on a news situation and they had some said something that wasn't survivor centric. And so mm-hmm. I, I think as a bystander, it is important to think about how everything you share is like letting people know whether you're safe or not safe to disclose to. And I think that's something to, to consider and to think about. 
the the last thing I had thought about while you both were talking to also just add as somebody who is intervening in in harmful situations both before um, during or after like an incident of violence that can also take an emotional toll on you and so yeah just um, wanted to plug like getting your own support knowing that it's also okay to have boundaries we talked about the it's okay to have barriers and to consider those and to think about how to navigate through them it's also okay to like make sure that you are prioritizing your own mental health your own well-being and your own care yeah all of those things are very very important um that was an awesome conversation there was so much useful information that was shared and we were so thankful to have you here um one last question um so how do students sign up for this training yeah so something that's different like if anyone's listening who took the older version of this program where it was this quite long like four and a half hour training that we just kind of assigned you to this year um number one it's much shorter it's only two hours um so you don't have to give up you know an entire day to be with us um but we are also allowing students to um register for their own sessions uh through eventbrite so if you go to bitbtraining.eventbrite.com um you are able to register for whatever day and time fits in your schedule um we have trainings wednesday friday saturday and sunday every week from um, the 7th of September all the way through the end of October. Um, I really encourage folks to sign up as soon as possible because um, we're only able to accommodate 35 students per session. So they're going to fill up fast since there's about 1700 new students coming in this fall. Um, so if you want like that first pick um, of your session to fit your schedule and all the fun I'm sure that everyone's having um, at the beginning of the school year. Um, the earlier you sign up, the better. Awesome. Um, yeah, guys, you got you got to get on it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Hannah, for coming to speak with us and for all the amazing work that you're doing. Um, the campus needs it, and we are so thankful to have you here. These topics don't get talked about enough, so we hope that we can help start these important and brave conversations on our campus. For all the listeners, if you want to learn more about the work that Hannah is doing, please make sure to check out our show notes where all of her links will be including the Eventbrite link um, that you use to sign up for the training. Um, here you can also link other resources if you are in, in need of support, as well as the transcript for this episode. If you want to learn more about what SAFE is doing, make sure to check us out on Instagram, shameless plug, um, at GU underscore SAFE. Once again, thank you so much, Hannah, and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Safe Speaks. Make sure to keep your eye out for our next episode. Thank you, everyone.